Let's pray. Father in heaven, speak to us, we pray. And by your Holy Spirit, would you convict us, encourage us, and fill our minds with your truth. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, We are pausing our series in John's Gospel, and we're going to be looking at the end of Luke chapter 1. But before we get there, um, I was recently uh, surprised to hear my six-year-old son, Jonah, recite by memory the words to a chart song called Shotgun. Now, it just, it, it just sort of erupted in him just one day, um, and, it, it, and we were like, where did you learn these words? And it turns out that, that in wet playtimes, when it's too wet to go outside, which happens quite frequently, um, they are in the class and these songs are played, it seems like they're played on repeat. Um, let me edify you with the lyrics to Shotgun. I'll try not to sing it. Homegrown alligator, see you later. Gotta hit the road got to hit the road. Something changed in the atmosphere. Architecture, unfamiliar. I could get used to this. Time flies by in the yellow and green. Now you'll stick around and you'll see what I mean. There's a mountain top that I'm dreaming of. If you need me, you know where I'll be. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun, feeling like a someone. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun, feeling like a someone. I'll stop there. I'm sure these lyrics must mean something to the artist, George Ezra. But I'm sorry, George. I'm afraid they mean absolutely nothing to me. The first time Jonah sang it, it was novel, but now he's singing it about 20 times a day, about four times the normal speed, and his wee brother Elijah is trying to keep up, but singing all the wrong words. And it certainly lost its enjoyment. Now, I am not anti-chart music, but it made me thinking, it, it got me thinking, what are we filling our minds with? And perhaps more importantly, what are we filling our children's minds with? What are they inheriting from us? Just pause that thought because we're going into Luke's gospel, previously in Luke. The high priest Zechariah was in the temple burning incense to the Lord in the holy of holy place when the angel Gabriel appeared delivering a message from the Lord. What was the message? The message was of good news that your elderly wife, Zechariah, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby and he will prepare the way for the Lord. Despite Zechariah's serious doubts, it happened just as God had said. His wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. Six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy as she entered her third trimester. Gabriel was sent on another errand. This time he was sent to a wee back country town called Nazareth and to an astonished and fearful young girl called Mary. He was to announce the message of good news, more good news, Mary. You're going to have a baby, the Son of God. He will reign forever. 
And Mary then hurries to the hill country to visit her relative Elizabeth. Mary bursts into the house of Elizabeth and Zechariah and calls out for Elizabeth. And at that moment, the unborn baby within Prager's Elizabeth leaps for joy. The angel Gabriel had said that that the baby named that would be named John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. Perhaps this was the moment that Elizabeth's baby received the Holy Spirit for the first time. What we do know is through the work of the Holy Spirit, the baby within Elizabeth became aware of his proximity, close proximity to the Savior of the world in Mary as their maternal hosts embrace. And I imagine the scene, Mary and Elizabeth holding hands, looking at each other with wonder. And we're told that Elizabeth herself, holding her kicking bump, erupts in a prophetic blessing over Mary. And then Mary erupts herself with the first song of the incarnation. Many songs would follow after, like the song of Zechariah as he lifted up his son John, who would become John the Baptist, um, and or like the songs of the angel when the skies were torn open and the angels announced the good news to the shepherds. But Mary's song is the first, and perhaps it is the greatest. Her song is like a tapestry of the Old Testament woven together or like a theological masterpiece. Critics will now say, oh, it's it's too wonderful for a common girl to have said. It must have been added in after. Yet this common girl was filled with the Holy Spirit and had God's word planted in her heart and in her mind and indeed the living word of God within her womb. And critics will also forget that, that, that every young Israelite girl would be taught to memorize the songs in the Old Testament like the songs of Hannah and Deborah and David and would, would recite these songs on feast days and I wonder, as Mary was traveling toward to see Elizabeth on that three to four day journey, was she mulling over these words, mulling over the words of Hannah, who herself had been promised a child? And so Mary here is, is filled with the Holy Spirit And she has the truth of God's word hidden in her heart. And the two brought together brings a joyful outpouring of praise to God. And this song is all about what God has done for Mary, what God has done for all people, and what God has done for his servant Israel. And we'll look at it in these stages. Here we go. Firstly, what God has done for Mary. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This song is 
is commonly called the Magnificat, and that's taken from the Latin translation of verse 46. My soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. Here's a question, though. How can we magnify the Lord? How can we magnify God? How can God get any bigger? Well, in a sense, He can in our hearts and in our minds. In our souls, as we learn more about Him, He can be magnified in us. We can be filled with more amazement or greater wonder at who God is. You ever get these moments? Whether it's when you're reading the, God's Word and something just jumps out at you, and you're like a light, light bulb moment, you're like, wow, isn't God amazing? Or if we're looking at creation, at some aspect of God's creation, and you're like, that is amazing, whether it's looking at the stars. The other week I was up an extensive mountain range, the campses, and uh, I was at the top there, and I hadn't checked the forecast before I got to the top, and it was a, a hurricane was forecast, and it had just arrived, or it was arriving as I was at the top on this evening, and I felt like a school kid in, this, in the playground, you know, when you'd lift up your jackets and lean into the wind. You know, I was leaning from the top of the campses down, and the, and the wind was pushing me back. My contact lenses were getting blown behind my eyelids. The wind was so powerful, and I was just, it was just a taste of God's power, and I was like, Wow! Do you get these moments when God is just magnified in us, through us? And Mary's mouth poured out wonder and greater thoughts than ever before came from her. And that's what happens when Jesus Christ comes to life in us. We are filled with wonder. We're filled with praise. Greater thoughts of God fill our minds and our hearts. And, and Mary... Mary praised God. She worshipped God. King David, he danced before the Lord. Magnifying the Lord involves everything in us, our whole spirit and soul. And that's what he desires in us today. Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, a great Baptist preacher from yesteryear, he understood this and he said this. I love this. I like sometimes to leave off praying and singing and to sit still and just gaze upward till my inmost soul has seen my Lord. Then I say, he is inexpressibly lovely. Yea, he is altogether lovely. Mary realized that God was her savior, that she was a sinner like the rest of us, and yet she knew where to put her, her hope. She trusted God for her eternal salvation. And it's important to highlight that Mary was a worshiper, not one to be worshipped. God was mindful of her in verse 48. He chose her to be the mother of the Savior of the world. God has been mindful of me, little Mary. Mary from Nazareth, of all places. God had showered his grace upon her. And this verse is a parallel from 1 Samuel 1.11, where Hannah poured out through tears for a son. And Mary herself recognizes the importance of humility before God. And like Hannah, she throws herself before God, recognizing his power 
and authority. And here we are face to face with such an important principle of the Christian faith. It's the principle that God comes to those who recognize their need, who cannot save themselves. Mary knew she was a nobody, and she knew also where to put her hope. And God had blessed her. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Christ comes to the lowly, not to a palace, but in a manger. He was born to an ordinary young woman in a peasant town in an obscure country. And here we are, a couple of thousand years on, and we are still calling Mary blessed. What a revelation, though, for her at the time. God has done great things for her. God has noticed me. Mary, I am going to give birth to God's son. And as Jesus was born and as he grew, Mary's likeness would be seen in Jesus. As other people held the baby. Oh, Mary. Oh, Mary, he's gorgeous. He's got your eyes, Mary. And as a toddler... Oh, Mary, look at that cheeky smile. That's your smile, Mary. It's funny, though. I can't see any of Joseph in him. Well, that's another story. How amazing for Mary to see herself in the features of her Savior. We are not Mary. But if we have received Jesus, we too have God within us. And in a sense, the miracle of the incarnation continues in us. We too are blessed. And that blessing is for eternity. Jesus himself tells us, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From when? From the foundation of the world. Amen. And as if that's not enough, we are growing in resemblance of Jesus, in his character, in his heart, in his purity. Last week I I spoke at the church that my parents are part of, and without fail, every time I speak there, or every time I visit there, I I get handshake, and after handshake, and they just, Mark, you're just like your father. It's inevitable. Like father, like son. You know, if we are living for Christ, then we are becoming more like him. Isn't that amazing? God is molding us to be more like his son, Jesus. And one day we will fully share his spiritual DNA. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's praise God for that. And look at verse 49. God is the mighty one working on her behalf. He is the mighty one. What's impossible with humanity is possible with God. Sometimes the children's songs are the best. My God is so 
so. And so, there's... Oh, come on. <laughs> come on, Cavies, let's do this again. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. Boom, boom. Jack wasn't singing it. Come up, Jack. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's true, though, is it not? It's true. He is mighty, but he is also holy. And Gabriel announced to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Mary herself sings out, Holy is his name. Holy. That's the essence of God. Holiness, otherness, separateness. He is different to us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, And Mary's experience had brought her a fresh revelation of God's divinity. And so it is when we experience Christ ourselves. We gain a better perspective of Christ's holiness, and the Holy Spirit within us convicts us of His holiness and His purity. And what do we do? We bow in worship of Him, because He is holy. And so that's what God has done for Mary, what God has done for all people. Verse 50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Do you see what's happening here? Mary has been zooming in into her own situation. Now she zooms out to, to widescreen, and she marvels at God's greatness for for all in all the world in all time her words are historic but they're also prophetic and as as we see these verses we can see that they're in the past tense mary looks back and she sees god's faithfulness but she has the same assurance for his future work look at 50 mary recognizes god's mercy that will extend to all generations and again and again, we see, see how God shows mercy to those who fear him. Someone said this, if, if we fear God, we will fear nothing else. But if we don't fear God, we will fear everything else. God doesn't work as we would expect him to work. His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. He turns everything upside down, and Mary sings this. And look at there's three reversals in, in these verses, three, three, um, three reversals of the norm. The first is a moral reversal. It's a contrast between the proud and the humble. This is bad news for the proud, for they will be be scattered, but it's good news for the humble. The proud, well, they're the ones with their chests inflated. They're the ones with their noses high. They're the ones looking down on others. They are the arrogant. They are the conceited. They are the ones who who believe they should be worshipped. They are the ones who worship themselves rather than worship God. And as Mary looks back in Israel's history, 
They are the pharaohs. They are the Absaloms. And perhaps a prime example is of King Nebuchadnezzar, who at one point built a statue of himself and encouraged everyone to worship him. And then later in his life, as, as he looked over his kingdom, he said, Is this, no, that's how he spoke, Is this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And what happened? God struck him down there and then with an illness that literally brought him to his hands and his knees and he had to eat like a wild animal until he humbled himself and he looked up to heaven and this is what he said, He concludes with this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And at that moment, God instantly healed him. God has performed mighty deeds. Mary's words are prophetic about the work of Jesus who would scatter the proud. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Those who believe their wealth, their education, their privilege, or their status, provide for them a moral superiority, well, they're in for a shock. This should be a sobering challenge for us. If we ourselves are in the habit of looking down on others who do not have what we have, are we humble before God? Do we realize that all we have is a gift from God? Are we poor in spirit? Have we recognized our poverty? Have we recognized our spiritual need? That we need God to help us and save us. Mary recognized that. And verse 52, it's a social reversal. It's a change in positions. The Old Testament is filled with stories of where that kind of reversal has happened. That God brings down the proud, but he lifts up the humble. And stories like that in the Old Testament are all prophetic towards the baby that would be born to Mary, who himself would be humble. And in humility, he would allow himself to be handed over to the Romans and suffer the humiliation of a sinner's death in the hands of those who he had created. And yet God has now lifted him to the highest place. And at his name, every knee will bow. And at his name, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God's kingdom is upside down. The first will be last. The last will be first. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. And then we have a a material and spiritual reversal in verse 53. Those who think they have will turn out to be the have-nots. Those who believe themselves to be rich and self-sufficient will discover that they are poor. The Bible encourages us to be hungry for him, to have a spiritual hunger 
for God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be filled. God has filled the hungry with good things. A few years ago, about four years ago, I was at the, you know, the food hall in Buchanan Street Galleries. Do you know where's the, where's the classic food joint like, like Burger King? And I was there, and I was with, I think it was Daddy Daycare Day, and I was with Jonah, and he was about two years old, and, and he'd been playing at the table with one of, a, one of his cars, and I went to take my tray to the bin, and I, I put, you know, they empty the contents in the bin, and as I pulled the tray out, I realized that my hand loosened the grip on the car that he'd been playing with that dropped into the bin. I put the tray on top of the bin, and I just stood there. Packed food court in Buchanan Street Galleries. Jonah's car in the bin. Jonah looking at me. <laughs> but what was even worse, at this moment, if it had just been his car, I would have just said, we'll get you another one. But it wasn't just his car. It was my car. I had, I had kept this car since I was a boy. And I had been able to hand it over to Jonah. And now it was in the bottom of a Burger King bin. What would you do? <laughs> All these people looking at me. No, don't do that. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Do you, have you seen what's in there? I rolled up my sleeve. <laughs> Put my hand in. Like, actually had to kneel down to lean in to this bin. Rummaged around the Burger King waste until I pulled out my Porsche 9-11. Are we willing to not care what anybody else thinks? Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to pursue God and find Him as our treasure? Are we willing? Are we desperately hungry for him? No matter what anyone else says to us, no matter what other distractions are around us, are we desperately hungry for him? Do we long to be in his presence to worship him? He alone satisfies. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Are we as a church hungry for more of God? Do we hunger for him or KBC? Here's a challenge. Have we become complacent? Have we? Spiritual hunger leads to blessing. In hunger, we are filled and we are satisfied and that satisfaction leads to a deeper hunger, a deeper filling, and then a deeper satisfaction. Oh, that we as a church might be hungry for more of God. And then Mary looks at what God has done for his servant Israel. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary is looking way back here to God's covenant promise to Israel that was first stated way back in Genesis 12.3. God's covenant is a done deal. God has helped his servant 
Israel. And you know the amazing thing is that, that Father Abraham has many sons. And we are spiritual descendants of Father Abraham. We have been grafted into the, the blessing of that family line. And as such, his covenant mercy extends to us forever and ever. And so Mary's song, it, it ends on this eternal note of mercy that God has been eternally merciful despite Israel's condition, despite them turning away from God and cheating on him again and again. God was still keeping his promises and would fulfill his purpose through them. God has kept his promise. God always keeps his promises. And it reminds me of a wee sticker I got from a Sunday school party that I stuck in my first Bible. And this sticker is a picture of a rainbow, and it was something like this. God keeps his promises. So true. So true. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she started her journey back home. She would arrive back in Nazareth, obviously pregnant. Tongues would be wagging. I told you so. That's why she left. I told you so. That's why she hurried away. But despite rumors of her unfaithfulness, she would remain faithful to her God. She would magnify him as she raised her son, the son of God. Mary worshipped God, and so should we. God has saved us, remembered us, blessed us, done great things for us shown mercy to us, performed mighty deeds, lifted up the humble, filled the hungry with good things, remembered his servants, been eternally merciful, and he has kept his promises. You see, God himself, in humility, reached down into the bin rummaged around, pursued us, and found us as his treasured possession. Forget riding shotgun underneath the hot sun, feeling like a someone. Instead, let's take a book, a leaf out of Mary's book, let us, let's allow our minds and our hearts to be filled with God-breathed Scripture. Let's be filled with the life-giving Spirit of God and not the empty Spirit of this age. Let's be filled with wonder that leads to true worship. And let's memorize God's promises. Let's implant His Word deep within. And, and let's teach the children church family these truths so that one day they would be teaching God willing their own children how amazing God is that God is mighty to save 
And Mary perfectly demonstrates for us what it means in Ephesians 5 when it says, let us be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.